0: You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Brunswick, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, head to our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, my name is Josh. I'm the campus pastor. If I have not met you personally, I would love, love to meet you today. Well, today we are finishing up our study in the book of Ephesians, and today we're going to talk about how to stand, how to endure, how to be strong in the midst of adversity. I don't know about you, but I think subconsciously, my mind, I thought post-COVID was going to be all unicorns and candy canes. Like for some reason, I thought when we were just going to kind of get to life back to relative normal, everything was going to be great. And I know I've talked to a number of people that we realize, oh, life is still life. There's still adversities. There's still challenge. You know, we have been looking at uh, this section of the book of Ephesians. Actually, Matt, uh, who dedicated Charlie earlier, he, he preached last week, talking about the spiritual forces that are at work. And we believe here at CVC there are, there are angels, there are demons, there is an enemy at work against you, your life, and your family. But there's also just circumstances that are uh, difficult to endure, and that there is adversity um, uh, that you're going to face. You know, my uh, wife and I we um, we've had some uh, family health issues lately with some of our extended family, and that was something that's really weighing on our minds. And then um, the HVAC system of our house died. <laughs> so we were kind of like sad and hot there for for about a week. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there was the demon of, you know, air conditioning that came and possessed our, our, our system. But man, I feel like I've had a lot of opportunity to really uh, get into this passage personally and because there's been a lot of uh, temptation for me this week to be irritated, to be frustrated, to be angry, and to control. So I hope that I'm able to share with you maybe some personal things that have encouraged me as we look at what the Bible calls the armor of God. So we're going to look at the armor of God, talk about how to withstand Difficulty. So let's pray and then we'll look at the passage together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, our King, our Commander. Lord, you are high and exalted and powerful. And Lord, all these difficulties that we face, many of them are just um, so temporary. So forgive us, forgive me when we veer into irritability and frustration and anger and we don't rely on your spirit. We don't put on the full armor of God. So I pray for my friends in this room, brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that we will um, understand more deeply what the armor of God is, but even more so, we will put it on, and that you would give us victory to stand firm in difficulty. Help us, Lord, as we look at your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13, the the scriptures will be on the screen. And there's even a pew, uh, not pew Bibles, chair Bibles, uh, uh, the chairs um, in front of you. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. The first thing, before we understand what, uh, how to put on the armor of God, is we have to understand the evil day, the difficult day, the bad day, it's coming. It is coming. Do not pretend that from today onward, every day is going to be wonderful and great, no adversity. That is absolutely what God not only did not promise, he actually told us the opposite. He's saying this right here. Difficulty is coming. Adversity is coming. It could be spiritual adversity. It could be material adversity. It could be physical adversity. Whatever the case is, it is coming. See, S- Satan, the enemy, he's not behind everything, but he is supportive of all things that, will, that wants to destroy you. He may not have given you a physical affliction, but he's cheering that affliction on and he hopes that physical affliction impacts your heart. You see, the evil day is any adversity. And now I think sometimes we look at spiritual attack, you know, like, well, I've never had like a weird experience camping or something where I saw, you know, God's not really that interested in spooking you. He just wants to destroy you. So however he will do that, he's gonna do it. So that means a physical attack will, he wants to leverage it to maybe make it a spiritual problem. A spiritual attack, he wants that to result in physical hardship and financial and relational hardship. So what verse 13 is telling us is you gotta be ready. You gotta be aware. It is coming. The evil day could look like for all you high school students. Prom comes and it goes without a date, without a group to go with, and you're at home. The evil day is when you don't get into that program or into that, or land that job, when you hit the wall of infertility, when you lose the baby, when you get the diagnosis, when the child rejects the faith, when addiction returns, when your spouse leaves, the evil day is coming. And the question for you, for me, will we stand or will we run? Those are two options. You stand firm or you run away. And I I, I don't think any of us want the reputation. I don't think any of us want the story in our family history of when mom or when dad, they just ran. So what we're going to see the next few verses is vitally, vitally important for your life, your family, your community, our, our church. All right, let's look. Verse 14 through 17 gives us the armor of God. Stand therefore Now, I've got some stuff here to help us um, make real what Scripture makes clear. Now, um, uh, John Holliday, he's actually teaching the, uh, I think, first through fourth grade. He is part of the Garfield Heights Police Department. He's on the SWAT team. So he's let me uh, play with some of his SWAT gear this morning. And here is his belt. This belt is central to whether it's a first century Roman context or in warfare today, it's central. It's necessary. It's a place to hold your implement of attack for other resources, for communication. It holds everything in place. It's the belt, the Bible calls the belt of truth. You see, uh, Paul lays out the um, the armor of a first century Roman soldier in the sequence with which a soldier would put those things on. And the belt, it's more like a girdle that would go around the waist and around the legs. It was the infrastructure for the armor, the complete armor. It was the 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 uh, structure with which everything else depended. In the Christian life, truth, Truth is the infrastructure, the internal wiring, the harness by which the rest of the armor hangs. We, you and I, if we are not anchored in truth, then the rest of the armor cannot be implemented effectively. And our breastplate and our sword cannot be fully secure to protect us in our moment of adversity. Truth is the basis by which the Christian faith is lived out. And you may have heard the term, all truth is God's truth. Have you ever heard that? Maybe Um, what that means is there is every arena of reality is under God's domain. So science and math and biology and sociology, wherever truth is found, that is God's truth. Every experience of our lives, if it is true, it is of God. If it is false, it is not of God. You see, Jesus calls Satan in John 8, the father of lies. His basis are lies, uh, his internal wiring is lies, his belt is lies, ours is to be truth. You know, um, it, it made me think of those, uh, you know, those bomb-sniffing dogs in the airport? You know, they're like cute little dogs have a little vest and they sniff your, you know, they sniff your luggage. You know, I was um, reading about dogs and their ability to smell. And this is what I came up, what I, I found online from the Phoenix Veterinary Center. It says, what do dog noses have that humans don't? They possess 300 million olfactory receptors in their noses compared to 6 million in us. And the part of the dog's brain that is devoted to analyzing smells is about 40 times greater than ours. Dogs possess a sense of smell many times more sensitive than even the most advanced man-made instrument. Powerful enough, get this, to detect substances at a concentration of one parts per trillion, which means a single drop of liquid in 20 Olympic-sized swimming pools. With training, dogs can sniff out bombs, drugs, pursue suspects, find dead bodies, and more and more, they're being used experimentally to detect human disease, like cancer, diabetes, tuberculosis, and malaria by smell alone. Christians should be like that, but with lies from the enemy. We are to train ourselves by faithful study of God's word, by humility, and through prayer that people go, hey, I was sent this YouTube video. Will you watch it for me and let me know what you think? Hey, here's some article. Someone told me this. What, is, is this true? Now, granted, you are not supposed to be the expert in everything, But there should be an inner sense where when you hear something or watch something, you can go, some smell fishy. We are to be truth seekers, where we seek truth in every way. And that's why it's been so confounding where we see over the last 18 months, we see from both sides of the political spectrum, these false ideas coming into even the church from conspiracy theories to these non-biblical worldviews. We should have a taste, a smell for what is right and be able to detect when, this is, when something is true and when something is false. And that's how we put on the belt of truth, the infrastructure by which the rest of the armor is applied. Well, second, we see in this list the breastplate of righteousness. So this is, again, John's um, very heavy bulletproof vest. And the primary purpose of this vest, the breastplate, is to protect the most vital organs of someone's body. So, so John will wear this when he's on a SWAT call in case there is a bullet that gets shot at him. And now if it hits the breastplate, he will be protected. And his whole body is not covered in this because a shot in the leg or the calf, it's of different, uh, a different outcome than one to the heart, the lungs, or the liver. But the Bible tells us that you and I are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this probably does not mean the righteousness that you and I have been given from Jesus. It's called imputed righteousness. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, Jesus' righteousness is given to us. That may be what's going on. But probably what's going on here is the breastplate of integrity. Because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, your life will then look differently. And integrity protects what is most important to our lives. If you are a woman or a man of integrity and someone says, Oh, so and so did this. Integrity protects you because they go, Nah, not, not Tom. No, that's, you probably have someone else you're talking about. It protects us from accusation. It protects us from Satan's lies. When we live a life of integrity and Satan shoots darts at us, we go, okay, I'm actually living a life of difficulty because I'm following God's law. No, that lie from the enemy, no, nah, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. And I tell you what, we've been studying Ephesians uh, 5 and 6. And if you... Simply apply Ephesians 5 and 6 to your marriage, to your children, and to your workplace. If I'm telling you just this little section, if you can faithfully apply this, it will protect you from a ruined marriage and estranged children. Not a guarantee, but you're going to be in great position. It will protect what's most Important integrity protects us from mo- what's most protects what is most important from attack now in this context the breastplate was probably Multiplated What happened is plates at times would need to be changed out because they were weakened or they were uh, uh, Rusted or pieces have broken question for you What is weakest? in your integrity what area of your life is most vulnerable to attack is it, is it sexual temptation is it financial is it coveting is it the language you use the what is it that you man if i This area is weak. What you need to do is double down and think I need to put some care and development, put some systems in place around my life so that that chink in my armor that does not become the place where I receive a fatal wound. Thirdly, Thirdly, we have the shoes of readiness. Look with me again at verse 15. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, when I think of armor, I usually don't think of shoes, right? It kind of seems odd to include this with a sword and with a shield. Now, the Apostle Paul was here with us this morning, he would probably ask us this question. Have you ever stepped on a Lego with no shoes on? Josh knows what he does with young kids. In that context, it was not like a football field where nice and soft grass, there was rocks and debris. Without shoes, the armor was unable to be used in battle. Without shoes, you could not actually go to war. And in this context, it was usually a sandal that would tie up around the knee and the leg, connect potentially to the belt. And if you're a soldier, they installed metal, um, like little divot, metal studs in the bottom for two purposes, to hold the line and to maneuver around the enemy. You and I, we must put the shoes on our feet. And how we do that is we are ready to share the gospel. We have to have the disposition, the positioning ready So that when an opportunity comes, we share the gospel. Now, I may be the only one who's experienced this. But there's been numerous times and probably more often than I would like where I'm in a context. Maybe I'm getting my hair cut or maybe I'm talking to my neighbor or I'm talking to a family member. And it feels like the opportunity to share the gospel is like a garage door that goes up. Right? It's not a little crack. I can just like, I can drive in. And you know what happens? I go, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't say anything in the garage door. Brr, goes back down. Is, Am I the only one? Right? It's because I wasn't ready. Because I didn't have my feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You see, this came to mind. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, behold, look, pay attention. Now is the day of salvation. Do you and do I believe that God could use us to bring someone to Christ today? Like July 11th, 2000 or 2021? Like, well, okay, maybe God could use me to bring someone to faith some indiscriminate day into the future. But what scripture tells us is today, today, God could use you to bring someone from death to life through the the message of the gospel. And if you are here and you have never had an experience of salvation, if you have never come to faith in Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Every day, Christ offers to you forgiveness, restoration, and a new life we have to be ready. We have to be ready. And I know I, some of us here, and I think it's a very small percentage, but some of us here might go, well, I, I don't know. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know enough Bible. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know enough uh, theology. Look, I have know plenty of theology and I let opportunities go by. But I will say there are two, the, the two top ways I've seen um, tools used to share the gospel uh, is first your story, simply sharing someone, this is who I was, this is what Jesus did, this is who I am now. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be like riding off in the sunset on a bareback steed, right? Like you can just be honest with where you're at. And you just share within what, what God has done. The second way is a tool called the three circles, three circles. It's a great way that we have some uh, pamphlets in the back. You can uh, grab those. There's also an app called Life Conversation Guide that you could download. It's a great way to share the gospel very quickly with, with someone. So now you don't have an excuse, right? <laughs> you need to be ready. Put the shoes on your feet to share the gospel. Verse 16, the shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's break this verse down. In what kind of circumstances? All circumstances. Every day, every circumstance, happy, sad, difficult, easy. We take up the shield of faith. And what's the purpose? You can what? extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one this is the only bit of the armor that we get instructions for so here is the shield it's got a little little lights you see that no maybe not okay i don't know how to use it um you don't want me showing up on the swat scene okay (laughs) This is the shield. This is a shield that John would use in his SWAT calls. It is bulletproof. It is super heavy. um, And it will stop a bullet, will stop any type of bat or rock or whatever that would come. If John is behind this, he's protected. And we are to have the shield of faith in all circumstances. Why? to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So in the warfare under the first century context, there'd be these little small arrows covered in pitch. You would shoot at someone, and even if they were covered in armor, the arrow would hit them. Even if it bounced off, all the pitch would splatter like molten tar on their face and their body. So the Roman soldiers would have these long uh, door-like uh, shields, which we actually get our, our word for door in the Latin, that they would hide behind. So when the enemy would shoot all their artillery, they would line up, get behind these doors, and it would render an aerial assault, assault at a distance, virtually inconsequential. And they were covered in leather, and the leather they would pierce, and they would the leather would not light on fire, and the the darts would be quenched the enemy will shoot darts at you all the time. It's coming. And that's why in all circumstances, we take the shield of faith. And now in my uh, opinion, there's generally three sorts of darts that Satan sends. First is, so, so what is a dart? A dart is anything that causes you to doubt God's trustworthiness. So a dart is not uh, a broken air conditioning unit, right? A dart is not someone pulling you, pulling in front of you on the highway. A dart is anything that will cause you to say, is God trustworthy? Can I trust him? And I think there are three types. One is we doubt God's concern for us. I'm insignificant. I don't matter. No one cares about me. I have no purpose. I don't have a future. Those are all lies. I think the second is we doubt God's forgiveness of us. I I can never recover from this. I have permanently lost my place. I have to make it all up to God. I got to work it all off. God is disappointed in me. Lies. And the third, so doubting God's concern for us, doubting God's forgiveness of us and doubting God's stability toward us. God is gonna get tired of me. God's patience with me will only last so long. You know, God should have just never saved me. Those are all darts from the enemy. Those are all lies, and we are to take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith, it's not faith in ourselves, it's not faith in our circumstances, or it's a it's not a religious feeling. It is trust in God. The word faith simply means trust. And just as those soldiers see the arrows flying, they put their shield down and they just wait. Those little sticks aren't getting through this wooden door. That's what God offers you through faith in Jesus Christ. He, you, he has given you faith. Faith is a gift from God that if you hide behind, you will be saved. Saved. Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. Look, as stupid as it would be for a first century Roman soldier to be out there and see the arrows and go, huh, 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 huh. Like, like, and everyone else is like, Roger's donezo, right? He's gone, <clears throat> if we try to dodge every attack and try to explain it away, no, no, I'm a good person. No, no, I do good things. I give to the church. My kids aren't are in prison. You know, They're seven. If we try to explain that away, we're jumping around the darts. But if we go, Jesus has died in my place and his righteousness is what I trust in we will be saved. We will be protected. All right, let's keep going. Helmet of salvation. Here's helmet. Okay, the helmet, here's John's helmet, John Holliday. So just watch out driving in Garfield Heights. Two purposes for a helmet, protection and identity protects your head, and it identifies you as part of the army. That's the exact same function as our salvation. We are protected from the consequences of our sin and the wrath of God, and we are identified with Jesus. We are no longer a child of destruction. We are no longer merely a really good athlete, merely a really good accountant. Hey, I'm a great mom. Hey, I'm a fun that grandpa. Okay. You may be that, but first you are a child of God. See, I feel like, um, folks like 30 and under, it's such a challenge with this concept of identity. And, you know, sociologists tell us that's the big piece. Who am I? What's my purpose? How do I live out that purpose? And if you're here and you're you know, 30 and under and you might be searching for something, hey, I'm going to be the best programmer ever. People are going to be like, oh, that's Tom, the really good programmer. Or I'm going to be super fit and attractive. where everyone knows I am just really fit and I'm attractive. Whatever the case is. Look, you could be the most fit and attractive lady out there. You will one day be a granny. <laughs> you could be the best. The, 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 you could have the C-suite. You could be the CEO. But one day people are going to go, hey, what do you do for work again? All these things are sifting sand. It's like grabbing hold of sand. The tighter you squeeze, the more it comes out. But when we identify and we take on the helmet of salvation, understand God has forgiven us of our sin, given us an identity as a child of God, we're free to pursue those other things with joy because they don't control us. Take up the helmet of salvation. And finally, we see the only weapon of attack, the sword of the spirit. I have, I don't have a sword, nor did I bring John's firearm. So <clears throat> just have to pretend. Paul tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. This is uh, certainly the Bible, but it's any word with which God uses to bolster his people. And in this context a sword was not like a long like slashing ninja sword it's a short sword used for stabbing when you started to use the sword you know you like you were face to face with the enemy you see when you have when you take up the shield of faith and the enemy knows he can't get to you with the darts he's coming after you up close you have to be ready with the sword of the spirit so the question for you is, are you using God's word? And I know many of you personally with young kids, and I know ours too. Like, well, My kids get up at 530 in the morning. What do you expect me to do, Josh? I don't know. But whatever you have to do, to get into it was audio Bible, if it, whatever, a little 15-minute screen time, you can, whatever the case is, if you show up in battle and you're like, where's my sword? What do I do with this thing? you You might be able to protect yourself from the onslaught, but you'll never be able to fight back. And your life will just be onslaught after onslaught instead of victory after victory. And I want our congregation to be victorious in the things that the enemy is attacking us in. And the older you get, the more responsibility you have, the greater importance it is to grab hold of the sword and fight because you're fighting on behalf of others. If you're a parent... Or a grandparent, if you have siblings, if you have relationships, you're fighting on their behalf. Look, we are part of the army of God. We're not individual commandos. We're not running around. We are a formation. And when you suffer, I suffer. And when I suffer, you suffer. But when we come together in faith, then we can move the kingdom of God forward. Okay, so we've got the armor. We've put it on. How do we use it? How are we supposed to use the armor? Verse 18. So, you know, so so verse 15 and 16 and 17. We And then 14, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, uh, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, another word for prayer for all the saints immediately after the description saying, stand firm by putting on the armor of God. You put on the armor of God. How Through prayer you use the armor of God in prayer? The battle is fought in prayer. Victory over sin, restoration of relationships, a heart to see the community transformed is not done through being, having better practices and and life hacks. It's not done, but I need to read this book on relationships. Maybe read the book on relationships, but be on your knees in prayer. Prayer is the way we move the kingdom of God forward. We have wonderful worship, awesome team, like incredible. We have children's ministry and Penny does an awesome job with the kids. We're moving, developing our, our life groups ministry. We're going to have some cool outreach stuff in the fall. All of that is worthless apart from the foundation of prayer because we're doing on our own strength. So this week, just in, in preparation for this message, I've been praying. I said, Lord, would you provide three people to sign up to be on our prayer team? So we are developing a prayer team to pray before services, during services. And when people get uh, either medical or any type of need that come in, we pray for those needs as well as the community as we go and reach out to the community. So I'm like, Lord, would you pray for three people to sign up to be on the prayer team? Because it's so important. We also want to have a prayer cove. So after services, we could have folks to pray for others. And this morning I was praying with Jorge and Kathy. And we were like, no, we need three per service. Okay. We need three. I need three. Three of us in here to say like, yes, I am committed to be on the front lines through prayer. Sign me up. I'm going to go to my knees before the Lord on behalf of others, on behalf of the lost, the sick, the widow, the orphan, on behalf of the ministries, the struggling believer. I've already got one. I need five more. If that is you, email me, jstone at cvconline.org. Call the church office. Talk to me after the service. I want to Make prayer, continue to make prayer deeper, deeper part so that our church has a prayer, a culture of prayer so that we can see God do amazing things in our midst. Well, let's conclude this verse 19 through 20. This is Apostle Paul giving some personal requests. He says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I would um, be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity for myself and ask, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me, my wife, Deborah, our kids, Judah, Rebecca, and Hannah? As the Apostle Paul asked, would you pray for me that I would continually grow in my roles as husband and as father, that Deborah and the kids would be strong in the Lord, spiritually, emotionally, developmentally? Would you pray for me that I would have boldness, as Paul said, in sharing the gospel, that my message preparation time would be guarded vigilantly so I could come with a meal and not a snack, right? That I would have wisdom in how to lead our church toward greater community involvement, investment, and evangelism. Would you pray for me? You know we're going to conclude our time with communion. So I'm going to ask our some of our our connect team members. They're going to pass out these little uh, cups with a little wafer on top. You know we've talked about the armor of God. You guys can go ahead and and pass those out. We've talked about the armor of God and how we're not commandos. (laughs) You know we're not individual vigilantes but rather we are in an army together. And I think a lot of us in, um, in, in, in hearing the call, it's a high call, feel like, Josh, I don't know if I'm up for this because it seems too high for me. Like I'm struggling. It seems too high. It's too much. And I would say, yeah, in your own strength, It's too much. You see, in Isaiah 59, we have a story of God. He looks throughout the land and his people are oppressed. His people are disobedient. And he looks for someone to redeem his people, to restore, to defeat the enemies, and to bring his people back. And he finds none. And this is what we see in Isaiah 59. It says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, brought him salvation. His righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And we see the same picture in Revelation 19 of Jesus. You see, Jesus has won the war when we could not. He went to battle against evil, against darkness and death, And to win the war, he gave his life. But he was resurrected again so that you and I could be into his family, put on the full armor of God, and expand his kingdom. And we have to do it together. You see, in the ancient Roman world, soldiers by themselves were always at risk. But when they lined up with their shields, they became what was called a phalanx, the most feared military implement in the world had known at that point. It was a wall of shields to the front and to the sides. And these failings would step and step and they would advance into any onslaught. The Bible tells us we as the people of God are called to be that. We are to link our shields of faith together. So when somebody goes down next to us, we pull them behind us and they can hide behind our faith. And we move together advancing God's kingdom because we know the war has been won and we are just here for the battle. We're the cleanup mission. So when we take communion, we together are proclaiming Jesus has won. We are in this together. Let's go expand his kingdom. So that's what we're going to do. If you want to grab your communion thing and take the top, uh, layer of plastic off. This is not how they did it, um, at the last supper, but this is COVID style here. When we eat the bread, drink the juice, we together in one impenetrable wall of faith, proclaim Christ. First Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also be- delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the wafer. Go ahead and peel that next layer back on the juice. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Go ahead and drink the juice. Proclaiming Christ is coming again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have won the battle. You are victory. You are a victor. You have assured our victory. Lord, may we live in that truth. May we line up together as a wall of faith moving forward in your kingdom, advancing your purposes. Help us to be bold. Help us have feet ready to share the gospel. Help us to have the the spirit we can, we can, we can move the enemy back. Lord, help us in our, in our own lives against sin, in our relationships with those closest to us, maybe a spouse, a roommate, a parent. Lord, I pray for children, grandchildren, siblings, parents. Lord, would you use us, as your word said, to, to, be, uh, to have feet for the gospel of peace? Well, we want to have peace, Father. Thank you that you've won that peace on our behalf. Father, would you do great and mighty things? Lord, I pray that at least three people in this room would sign up to be on the prayer team to go in battle for prayer. And Lord, in all these things, it's impossible to have any sort of victory apart from you. We thank you that you've won it for us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and further teaching series on our website at www.cvcbrunswick.org.